to another episode of Six Feet of Separation. I am one of your hosts, Jessa B, alongside DJ Kimmett. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with Zach Wolf. Zach is a celebrity hip hop photographer and cinematographer who's been shooting Southern hip hop, mainly Atlanta hip hop for over 20 years, has made a transition into the sports world and has dabbled in film and film festivals. But we will get to all of that later. Welcome Zach, thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate you uh, contacting me for this. It sounds like a good one. Yeah, man, um, you definitely came highly, highly recommended from a, a good friend and uh, one of our past interviews, uh, Steve West. Uh, said, hey, if you guys don't do anything, please reach out to Zach Wolf. Um, uh, so yeah, Steve is a, a, a big uh, fan and he just, he, he digs the way you move, man. So he was like, reach out. And then uh, once once I I touched your profile, I was like, oh, I know who this cat is. Okay, right, this will be fun. This will be real fun, man. And uh, we're, we're gonna get to, and, and for, for some of the people who may not already know who you are, we're definitely gonna get to all those points and it's going to start to uh, formulate. They'll be like, oh yeah, I know this cat's work. But um, I, I want to I, I wanna start in a weird spot. And it was something that I picked up on as I was doing some research on you. But something about watching this piece was, uh, I, could, I could feel the, the focus on this individual's heart, this individual's passion. And the imperfections on the, the individual is what made it the piece so beautiful in the way you shot it and the way you got it. I mean, it, it was just sick. And so you did a documentary. You were the, I, I want to say, cinematographer or DP for Dust and Dirt. Yeah. Um, it's, it was, it's, it's a short, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the way the piece was put together, bro, and, and, and Dust and Dirt is about the independent, is it what we call it? Not it's not drag racing. It's just uh, what what type of racing would you is that is that classified as? Man, I, I should stock know car. That. Is it stock car? It's yeah. It's there is a term that I don't have on the tip of my tongue, but essentially it's kind of like the minor leagues of NASCAR. So it's right. like a dirt track. I guess they're all over the South. This is kind of all new to me when I got into it. But yeah, it's I guess the best way to describe it would be the minor leagues of NASCAR. Right. And you focused on one individual. I want to want to say his name was Mike. Um, I don't want to mess up his name. I, you may not remember yourself. But Mace Massey. Mace Massey. I knew it was Eminem. I, I knew those were his <laughs> initials. I want to say. Yeah. Bro, just just if you could just just break down that experience, because it was so heartfelt and, and, and it's something that I'm not deep into, I mean, strangely enough, I, when I did grow up, I, I did uh, attend some NASCAR and some Formula 500 races, which are two separate worlds, but uh, I, I wasn't, wasn't so close to that, that third tier under NASCAR, man. Break that down, that experience for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, man, so I knew nothing about race car, you know, NASCAR, nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, no, nothing. But uh, a good friend of mine, Chris Stanford, who's a director in Atlanta, mm -hmm. had just bought the Alexa mini camera, which is pretty much industry standard for, you know, big films and TV shows and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And he was basically like, look, man, I got this camera. I want to do something with it. I'm like, D you tell me whatever you got, like, 
because I wanted to get my hands on that too, right? <laughs> so he's like, cool, let me, uh, let me get back to you. And he hit me back maybe a week or two later and he was like, look, man, I, I found this dirt track down in Sonoya that does, you know, I guess race car driving, you know, dirt track race car driving. I wish I knew the term. And he's like, man, we should just go down there and just shoot like a short film on this, you know, racetrack. And I was like, yeah, dude, I don't care. Like, I don't, you know, I wanted to work with the Alexa Mini, right? Right. I didn't care what we shot. So we go down to the Sonoya Raceway and it's like this immediate, like, oh, wow. Like, because this is so foreign to me, it became really exciting, right? It's like sometimes when you know something too well, you can't, you can't do that documentary side of things properly. Right. Mm. Because just too influenced by it. This was just like, holy shit, this is so wild. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and so we just basically linked up with the owners of the track, who ended up being Mason Massey's dad. Oh, wow. So he gave us a go ahead to like come down there and shoot basically every weekend. So we felt like we had what we needed. And we ended up meeting Mason. And it kind of evolved into, hey, let's tell his story, right? And I think we'd gone down there two or three weekends and had been shooting Mason. Like, we, we're like, our focus is on Mason now, right? Like, now we, it's not just racing, it's Mason, right? Because Mason Massey's friends with uh, a famous NASCAR driver, um, Chase Elliott, Chase Elliott, who's mm. the most famous NASCAR driver, uh, current NASCAR driver, I believe. They grew up together, but Chase Elliott's dad was Bill Elliott, the big NASCAR driver. So, like, he's in NASCAR, right? And Mason didn't have a famous father and is now at the dirt track. So, it's like, that was, like, our initial story was, like, whoa, like, okay, like, this kid wants to make it to NASCAR, but, like, he's close, but, like, he's so far away. Mm -hmm. And then as it kept going we got to the point where we needed to interview him, right? Which the whole plan was to have him narrate the, mm -hmm. the short as opposed to like an on-screen interview. Mm -hmm. This kid within 30 seconds of interviewing him couldn't talk, his stutter came out. Yep. And we had been with him three, four days and not one hint of a stutter. And I was sitting there actually recording sound <clears throat> while Chris was interviewing him and I kept thinking to myself, like, what is going on right now, right? Like, my head was so deep in, I need clean speaking and audio. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not. I got you. Yeah. I'm You're not, in production mode. Yeah. yeah, I'm in production mode. Kind of like, come on, kid, let's get it together. Right. And then at some point, you realize, like, oh, my God, this kid has a very bad stutter. Mm -hmm. And how did this come about after spending so much time with him where there was no stutter? Mm -hmm. So we left that interview and both Chris and I were kind of like, wow, like we're going to have to re rethink everything on this. Right. Mm -hmm. But then Chris's wife, thank God was like, that's the story, right? Like mm -hmm. not only is he trying to become a NASCAR driver, it's like he has to overcome this stutter. And then it's like, is that why he's not a NASCAR driver? Because he can't really speak to the public. Right. So that's the long and the short of it. It just kind of, all of it just really unfolded in front of me. And, you know, it was a very fun experience. And, you know, 
It was fun to tell a story that I had no plans on telling, if that makes sense. It was deep because there was this one quote that, um, that Mason made, and he was saying that he's teased every day. And it was bad, worse when he was younger, but he was teased every day for something he had no control over. Yeah. And he knew, he knew that God put him on this planet for some reason. Totally. And, and it just, it just, it was just that moment, man, where I was like, you know, it didn't matter what color, it didn't matter the, like the, the upbringing, no, no matter, it didn't matter if you were watching that and, and when you heard that you connected with it, you know what I'm saying? And it, that, I just thought that that piece was real amazing. So I'm, thanks for the background on that. I was wondering how you got involved, how that came about, because it's so much different than the other stuff that, you know, you, you've done. So totally, hundred yeah. percent, like. 180 degrees different. So I saw you worked on a few other uh, documentary films too, and have you were lucky enough to not have to do virtual film festivals, um, which is a lot of what we're seeing right now because of COVID. Um, can you tell us what your experience was like that um, from starting in documentary film to the film festivals? Yeah, I mean, I've done a couple with Chris Stanford. We did another one with the father-son, <clears throat> excuse me, cowboy duo up in North Georgia. And very similar to the dirt track racing, you know, Chris came up. Is that Better Man? Yeah, Better Man, exactly. Okay, okay. And, you know, we had a lot of success with uh, Dustin Dirt. It got a Vimeo staff pick. And Chris, you know, submitted it to tons of film festivals. And we got into quite a few of them. Um, one was Slam Dance, which is, goes on in the same, same time, same place as Sundance. But I guess it's like, it's like the anti-Sundance Film Festival, which is yeah. really interesting. <laughs> so going to that was like really amazing because, you know, if I'm totally honest with you, I went to Sundance, well, Slam Dance, but I was basically at Sundance. Mm -hmm. and my reaction was like, I don't belong here. Like, I don't, I don't deserve this. Like, I'm not good enough. Like, I'm a fraud, right? Because it's like, it's like TMZs in the mountains. You know, you've got all these like paparazzi and these stars and like, but everyone's wearing North Face jackets. It's really bizarre. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it is. I mean, uh, it is funny to me too. I'm just like, wait, like I'm just, just a normal dude. Like, you know, this is not, you know, I'm not worthy of this. But the cool part of it is, is I'm so glad I had that feeling and that I went there because now I kind of feel the total opposite, right? Like, I don't think I'm Steven Spielberg. I don't think I'm like the greatest on earth, but like I got past an insecurity I didn't know I even had. Mm -hmm. So we kind of took the success of that. And, you know, if I'm totally honest, we're like, oh, we're going to replicate it, right? We're going to get another Vimeo staff pick. This time we're going to get into Sundance, not slam dance, blah, blah, blah. We did have some success and it did get into some uh, film festivals. One of them I went to, which was in Palm Springs. And that, you know, I had a totally different experience at the one in Palm Springs because I had done the one, uh, the slam dance. So I had had a little more confidence going into it. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, I, I think the film festival experience is like, it definitely strokes your ego, right? Gives you like some validation. But I think the biggest point of a film festival is to meet with other people doing this right and like getting a chance to sit down with someone after they show their film and be like man how did you do this like you know you can just ask all these questions and, and get information that you just really can't get on the internet so i think 
for me, that's the biggest takeaway of a film festival is the ability to kind of rub shoulders with greatness and, you know, just take it all in. And, and beyond that, you can sit and watch a ton of amazing films that will never hit Netflix, any of the streaming services. I mean, just amazing stuff, you know? That's interesting, man. That's real interesting. And, and, and you saying that, man, uh, and, and this is a discussion that Jess and I have had and because, and you know, uh, our line of work and we've been dealing with a number of independent films and seeing how everybody moves through the different festivals and everything in order to get the promotion out there. But we've also found that after the festivals, many of these these films go dormant, right? Are there, as far as you know, are there any portals or anywhere like these these films live after the festivals, the ones that don't, you know, get placed on Hulu or Amazon or Netflix or something like that? Like where, do you know where these, they live or is there a need for that? Well, there's definitely a need for that because you're asking me and I, I, I agree. You know what I mean? Like, so that was like one of my biggest takeaways was like, man, like this is so sad to think, you know, the, these film festivals have the short blocks, which is like a 90 minute sit down session, but there'll probably be 10 short films in that. They're called short blocks. That is the most amazing stuff you will see at a film festival, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because of one short block, the range of work is beyond work. Okay. I, I do think there should be more celebration of that. Um, Cause it's just like, uh, it's just so artistic, you know? It is, it really is. And it's almost like, it, it's a weird business model because if you try and go after it and it's, it's it, if it becomes successful, then any bigger streaming service will just be like, okay, we'll just replicate. <laughs> just, yeah, you know, no, for sure. But they're not going to do it until, of course, the it, it's been a case proven, you know, to do so. But that's interesting. I'm happy you answered that because Jess and I have been going back and forth on that. So I will say Vimeo stat picks, if you just like go on to Vimeo, uh-huh, uh-huh. they've expanded the stat picks. Mm-hmm. It used to just be like one a week, I believe, or once a month. Mm-hmm. And now it's like a lot more expanded. Vimeo is a really great place to find some content that, you know, is, you know, just doesn't have a home anywhere else, but like really artistic, really well shot, you know. No, you're right. Because of COVID, I, I actually, uh, what was the documentary? Because I'm, I'm really into dance music culture, of course, along with hip hop and everything, but a lot of like how the early clubs and some of the early DJs were established. So there's this movie that came out called Larry's Garage and it was uh, a documentary shot by um, this Italian team. But I don't know if you remember in the early seventies, definitely before your time into, <laughs> into, uh, into the mid to late seventies, there was a club in New York called the Paradise Garage and their DJ was Larry Levan. And he basically is responsible for the, the big club scene, um, the bigger discos and all this stuff. He was an audiophile and there wasn't much footage of him, but this came out and that's how I discovered the um, Vimeo on demand and the different uh, Vimeo uh, staff picks and stuff. So yeah, bro, they, they've definitely stepped it up. Thanks for yeah, that. Yeah, I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, it's pretty decent, it's pretty decent. So I know you have told the story a million times about how you got started in photography, so we won't make you go completely into that. Even though Jess wants to know. But you moved here because from Iowa, if you moved here from Iowa or from Denver? Iowa. Iowa. Oh, um, sorry. No, I moved to Atlanta from Denver. 
but you're from I, Iowa. Yeah, Iowa, Denver, LA for like six months, back to Denver for a couple of years, and then here to uh, Atlanta in 2001. 2001. So you were still um, heavy into the New York hip hop scene, not giving, you're one of those people that wouldn't respect Atlanta rap in the beginning. <laughs> not until I found Outkast. Okay. That changed everything for me. But yes, correct. I definitely, yeah. Not even like disrespected uh, Southern hip hop, just had no connection. Had not been turned on to it, yeah. Yeah, none of it. So that, um, your first introduction to Outkast is what made you want to move to Atlanta to become a photographer? Or how did that whole thing happen? So I was living in Denver, going to art school. You know, I grew up in a small town in Iowa that I essentially had to be a hip hop fan by myself because <laughs> there wasn't anybody else. And, and, you know, that was from a very early age. So, you know, at some point, I think maybe in the last, maybe my junior, senior year in high school, I had just kind of given up on, not given up on loving hip hop, but just was like, fuck it, I'm gonna listen to rock or whatever everyone else is listening to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I moved to Denver and instantaneously had 30 friends that were like turning me on to early, you know, 90s hip hop, you know, the golden era, 91, mm. 92, 93. And I'm just like, oh my God, like my life has fucking changed for the better. <laughs> And thank God there are other people that listen to this shit and that I'm not crazy. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> you were just um, in the wrong place. <laughs> I was in the wrong place, 100%. But yeah, a buddy of mine put on Outkast's first album. Uh, and I just, I mean, I'll never forget it, man. I literally had like a uh, chill, you know? It was just this instantaneous, like, what the fuck is this? Like, I have never heard anything like this. I've never felt anything like this. And you know, you're young, right? Like I was what, 19? So I'm like, I whatever it takes, I'm gonna be around this, you know? Mm -hmm. There was nothing gonna stop me. So mm -hmm. that's kind of how it happened, you know? Bro, and then there's also uh, the moment of kismet, I guess. Uh, you were behind your apartment building and you were talking to a young lady and she was like, so what are you doing out here? And you're like, I'm trying to be a t photographer. Yep. And, I, <laughs> and she turned out to be who? That, uh, her name is Sloan. I forget her last name. Sorry, Sloan, if you're listening. She was like little John's kind of everything. You know what I mean? Like secretary, what, you know, whatever, you know, like no nothing had really happened for little John at that point. So it was uh -huh. like a tiny house, uh, close to Clark Atlanta that, you know, she had a desk at, he had a desk at, and, uh, yeah, she was just like doing whatever she had to do for him you know she believed in him and she was like yeah like come over and meet little john and i was you know i kind of chuckled like little john you know that that's like that i'm a new york hip-hop lover so i'm like right. little john like who's little hip-hop name little no. <laughs> yeah exactly right like again not understanding what was happening in the south even though i was in outcast right like there's a whole other layer there that, you know mm -hmm. everyone knows now but you know at the time i did not so I went there and this house, uh, which unfortunately is no longer there, but the roof was burned down and it had these big tarps on the roof, right? So I'm pulling up to this house and I'm like, you know, like the record scratched. I'm like, wait, like, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like these weren't my dreams of shooting Nas or Jay-Z, right? Or whatever dreams I had of like shooting hip hop. I'm like, this is, this Dirty is- Dirty South. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so whatever, but still it's like, let me go in and hang out. And I don't know how to explain it, but I was touched by, yeah, by the South, like really quickly. Right. It was like little John was like super organized and like knew what he wanted to do. Next thing you know, like everyone you could think of was coming through that house. T.I., Killer Mike, David Banner. David Banner was living in this Chevy Astro van. He'd drive up from Mississippi and like he had white t-shirts on that he wrote Mississippi on with a black Sharpie. Like that's how broke mm -hmm. he was, you know? And, and that's what my first introduction was. Like what, how lucky was I? You know what I mean? Like literally got in before the money came and I just instantaneously like flipped my thinking of like, Oh, this isn't what I want to like, Oh my God, like I want to be a part of this, you know, and I don't know where it's going. I don't know what I'll get out of it. And I don't care. You know what I mean? It was just like, damn, I want to be a part of whatever this is. And uh, that's how that all happened. It was definitely a lucky scenario meeting Sloan outside of my apartment. Bug out, bro. <laughs> that was like right before like little john blew up too right before i mean like maybe six months i mean he had had a little bit of attention but i think the most attention he had at that time was you know people were writing about his album cover where they were burning the uh, confederate flag mm -hmm. it was like attention for that but not for like his music you know so everything changed you still do you have any footage from uh, Club 559? Club 559? The, the club in the West End, right there off of Lee Street, um, back behind Lee Street, where John used to do his parties, where they oh, started man. the Let's Get Crunk and all that stuff in the West End. I don't right know off the I've ever been to Club 559. Oh, dude. I yes. missed that. That was, that was where, you know, like crunk started, started. Not, I never stepped foot inside there. I was always parking lot pimping. Cause okay. I, I would leave leave one of my DJ gigs and just go by there and, and hang out because I was hearing everybody was like, you, you heard about this snap and crunk business happening? You know, and right. I was like, well, let me go check and see what, you know, what's popping. Next thing I knew, I was getting vinyl and, and playing that stuff in the club. So, boom. Man, I, just talking about this, I get like kind of chills, you know? It's like, it's like the nostalgia is real. Mm -hmm. um, just like, I, I can tell, you know, you know, like, I, I, it's so hard, I think, for people moving to the city right now to understand what that feeling was at that time. Because right. it was so different, right? It's like, it was. It's like if you were into it, you were into it because you really truly loved it and it, mm -hmm. it grabbed you. And like now it's like everyone knows what's special about Atlanta, you know? Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I don't know if I'm making sense, but uh, no, you're no, making sense. you definitely are. I was, <laughs> uh, I was in middle school and all that stuff started popping off, but. I went to college in Philly and I got in so many arguments with people about <laughs> Southern rap versus New York rap. Right. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Yeah. But now everybody knows now everybody respects Atlanta. It was an exciting time. It was, it was an awesome time. Um, I was, uh, I think by that, yeah, I was, I was definitely out of um, arrested development. So I was, I actually got to see little John, like grow through the rankings, like coming out of, uh, well, first he was always a DJ. My, my wife went to high school with him out here in Decatur mm -hmm. and watching him, cause he was doing like a lot of East Coast stuff. He was spinning a lot of house music and he was spinning reggae. And it, I 
think at the time he was on 80, either 88.5. He was on either yeah. RF or R, RFG, one of the two. And if he, you know, if someone asked him to play like some Luke or something, he called that Obama music. <laughs> he would mm-hmm. play it. And so then, you know, he, I remember he had his, uh, he did his, he did a, a, a reggae remix or uh, for an artist that took off. And then next thing I knew, you know, he was over at So So Deaf and then bam, like you said, you were pulling up to his house um, with the <laughs> with, with, with the missing roof. And then he had the studio over there near Bankhead. So, yeah, he got John has definitely d- done his thing. man. And, and you being there to catch it all is just a bug out. Now, let me ask you this, man. There was there's a picture, a very famous picture that I saw, and it wasn't until I saw probably a second picture, a breakout picture from there. And it was a. a someone did a very nice write-up on you and, and just, you know, laid out many of your iconic photos. But there was one photo that stood out and I was like, how did he get access? And it's the back room at Wax and Facts. I've, oh, yeah. Only few people can, can go in there. So when I saw the picture, I was like, it looked, that looks very familiar. Then I saw a second picture. I was like, hell yeah, that's the back room. So that was, that was a, a, a photo shoot I think you did for, um, for Outcast with, Andre Benjamin that ended up in maybe it was Vibe magazine, bro. Like, uh, speak about some of those uncanny uh, photo shoots that you have, because I would never think that. Because at first I was like, you know, I know I knew Dre, because I knew the the record collector that uh, Organized Noise got their records from, because I would also go to his spot too. And I was looking at the pictures, and I was like, I just didn't know Dre had that many records. But then figuring out was at Wax and Facts. And so I've also heard you say that there's not one street, there's probably not a street in Atlanta that you have not gone down or that you have not scouted. To talk about, the, you know, bring us back into some more of the uncanny photo shoots you've had. The Wax and Facts, that was, uh, yeah, I got a call from Esquire Magazine to shoot Andre. Okay. And I was like, wow. Like, you know, at that time he hadn't been shot in years, right? Mm -hmm. And like, literally my dream is in front of me, right? Like Mm -hmm. I got a shoot outcast back in 2005, but like, it was a really terrible photo shoot. I just, I just choked for lack of a better term, right? And it it had bugged me every day since then, right? (laughs) So to get a chance to redeem myself was so important. Um, Anyways, Andre's manager or whatever was talking with Esquire and then to me and like basically Andre wanted me to present locations and this went on for two weeks right I'm just like I'm at a loss right and and the one spot I didn't scout because I was just like nah I'm not gonna go there was little five points Mm -hmm. just because I was like "Ah, Andre deserves something more than little five which you know whatever that means right I'm just being (laughs) I'm just being clear with my thought process. So I'm just like, cool, I'm going to go spend a couple hours on little five points, just scouring every nook and cranny of uh, little five points. And I went into Wax and Facts and I was like, hey, like I've got a shoot with a pretty big artist and I didn't want to say who, and I'm not sure why, maybe just to like not, oh yeah, to not blow it up, right? It's Andre 3000. They were like, look, you can shoot here. I was like, cool, like, how much would it be to shut the store down for the day or for like a couple hours? They were like, no, no, we don't shut the store down, but you're totally welcome to shoot here. And I was like, yeah, but like, seriously, what's the number to shut it down for a couple hours? They're like, you cannot shut the store down. (laughs) 
there is no number. I'm like, okay, so whatever. Long story short, I, I, I took pictures there and a couple other places and Andre, that's where he wanted to shoot. I'm like, wow, no shit, man. He wants to walk around little five points, biggest <laughs> rapper in the South or in the world, right? Like, right. it's going to be a mob scene there. Like, like uh, I don't know how I'm going to pull this off without it just getting out of hand. Mm-hmm. So we're at the parking lot of Junkman's daughter. Mm-hmm. Andre pulls in in his Rover mm-hmm. by himself and walks right up to me. He's like, what's up, man? What you want to do? And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe this, right? Like, <laughs> Like, I don't know, like, I'm just trying to take this in right now because you're just being so normal. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. you build people up to be something that they're not. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, okay, like, Andre's chilling. Like, I was like, ah, oh, man, let's just kind of walk around and see what's going on. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So I go into Wax and Facts, and, like, the old heads in there that run that shop, like, their jaws are on the ground. And I'm like, this is, this is it, man. Like, we still get the shooting here? And they're like... Uh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Do you want to see our back room? And I'm like, back room? Yes, yes, we want to see the back room. I didn't know there was a back room, but of course there's one, right? And like, we go up the stairs, and I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. First of all, those stairs is like, like, you're not going to make it. No, yes, those (laughs) stairs definitely need some repairing, like you know, built like 400 years ago with like three nails left in them. And, 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 and let me ask you this. Once you got into the room, was there any similarity between it and Little John's house? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, yes, absolutely, man. I mean, dude, <laughs> you, I'm assuming you've been in the back room of Wax and Facts. Yes, bro. Man, of course you have. Like that, wow. I mean, like, what the fuck? No one would know. What's back there? It's so crazy back there. I it's, had no like, idea that even existed. It, it's seriously... <laughs> and I, I grew mean, up a little five. They have, I mean, no joke, they've got to have 500,000 records back there. It, it is the, the biggest hoard of records I've seen in my life. No. Yeah, we go up the steps and like the iconic photo I got from that where he's sitting in a pile of records kind of looking up. I literally, like, I was ahead of Andre. He was behind me. I get to the top of the steps. I look to my right, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, there was this opening. So the photo of him surrounded by the the piano, the the keyboard, and all the records, Mm -hmm. I didn't do anything. There was literally room for some human to sit where he sat in that photo. And I was, I mean, I don't even think we talked. I think I just kind of looked over there and like he knew exactly what I was thinking because he was kind of blown away too like <laughs> like I think Andre you know like he doesn't want what everyone you, you know what I mean like yeah. he's just, like he just wants to chill and like enjoy the arts and I, I know he loves Atlanta so like you know for him I think our excitement level was the same right and uh he just went and sat in that little corner and I'm literally shaking with the camera because I'm like this is everything I've asked for. You know what I mean? Mm. Everything I've asked for right here. Like, don't fuck it up, dude. You know? <laughs> and I think I took like 10 photos in that little spot because I'm just, I'm literally shaking. Like, just because it's like, I, you, know, you want something so bad for so long and it's like right there, mm. you know? And then I was like, ah, let, let's go see the rest of this. And then we just like vibed. And at some point it was like, 
I'm not staying here any longer. I think we spent an hour or so in there because it was just like, this is so like, no one's forcing anything and we were all having a good time. And I was like, let's just keep walking around. And I, at that point, I was like, I had the shots I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let's see if a mob scene happens in Little Five Points because he was totally open to roll around Little Five. And I'm like, everyone's going to freak out. The funniest thing was we left Wax and Facts and started walking up the rest of Little Five. And like these three girls were like FaceTiming or something, right? Like walking towards us, their heads in their phones. And they bump into Andre and just kind of looked at him like, ew, like, like you got in our way while we were doing a selfie. Didn't, didn't know wow. what was, right? Wow. <laughs> and I'm just they, like, they must not have been from Atlanta or from Indiana. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, like, so like maybe this isn't going to happen, right? And like me and Andre laughed at that. Like, like we didn't have to say it, but he knew like, yeah, it's kind of funny. They, they have no idea who I am. It's like, and that continued. We kept rolling through little five points. The only people who at least let us know that they recognized him were the old dudes in Wax and Facts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like we just kind of like kicked it for another hour in little five points. And we both kind of looked at each other. It's like, yeah, I think we're good. I'm like, yeah, I think we're good. Like, and he got in his rover and left. And that was that. So, you know, those don't happen often, you know, like. The, the best shoots I have are the ones that require no effort. Like the artist is interested in hanging out with you. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you gotta, you know, for me, it's like, I understand someone's giving me their time. Mm-hmm. And I want that to be enjoyable. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want it to feel like, oh, I'm just trying to extract something from you. And when I got that, like I'm out, you know, it's like, right. I, I would hang out with you regardless of the camera, not, you know, like, uh, so I think he appreciated that. And I think, some of my best shoots, that's the key factor. We're not working. We're trying to like, you know, like my goal is to like, I want the Andre 3000 photo to be the photo that gets looked at in 30 years and it still has relevancy. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? That's what I want. I want to make sure things that are special to me have like a place in history through a still image. So the hip hop world and the sports world have always had this marriage, um, especially basketball and the NBA. Can you talk a little bit about how you started in sports and any similarities you see between shooting both? Yeah, for sure. Um, I basically started in sports. Let's see. I mean, I I started in Colorado, like working at Ski Magazine Mm. as an intern. And then I ended up like, I don't know, an extended intern. Like I ended up working there for about a year, year and a half. And that's, you know, the shooting entertainment felt like a pipe dream for me at that time. So mm-hmm. I was like, I like snowboarding. I like like the outdoors. So like maybe I'm going to focus on that, right? And then I realized I had a chance to chase my dreams, right? By going to LA and then coming to Atlanta. Um, and I didn't really do anything with sports until about... 2013 was when I started to shoot 2013 or 14. I started to shoot for the Atlanta Hawks, Mm. um, which I loved, right? Like if I could have done that from the minute I moved here, I'm a huge basketball fan. I would have, but I just, I wasn't in, you know, I didn't get in there until 2013 or so. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first year I shot the Atlanta Hawks campaign, whoever was like the, you know, uh, creative director of the Hawks, like sat me down before the, the day of the shoot 
and like took me into a room and there was, I can't remember what the deal was. Remember, uh, it was like the general manager, Danny. Oh Fury. yeah, he said some wild stuff. Yeah, there was like some like racial tensions in the Hawks organization because of Danny Ferry. And this had just happened like two, three days before the shoot. And basically there was like unrest. And so this guy tells me, hey, I'm putting this on you to fix this. I swear to God, he said that to me. I was like, wait, dude. Like I literally laughed at him like, you're kidding me, right? Like what? He was like, no, I'm not kidding. Like you... I think you can like change this for the better. And I was like, he's like, what would you do? I was like, I know what I would do. I'm gonna play the music I wanna play. And he was like, yeah, well, we've got kids here and family. I was like, tell them to go, (laughs) you know, like tell them to go and let us, you know, vibe out for real. Yeah, but like, no, we're working. Like tell the kids and the family to go home let me play the music I want to play as loud as I want to play it and let me do what I do, which is like creative vibe. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, man, that saved the shoot, right? Like it, it, these guys have been doing this for years where it's like, you know, the photographers are playing the music they want to play mm-hmm. and the players are, there's just like this major disconnect. Mm-hmm. And within like 30 minutes, like people from the Hawks organization were coming up to me with like big smiles, like, Oh my God. And I'm like, this is not rocket science. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like I couldn't believe that it took an incident like that for them to open their eyes. Uh, so yeah, music and, and basketball and hip hop, like they're, t- they're so married, you know? Mm-hmm. And I knew that. And um, you know, I think a few of the players were like surprised by what I was playing, but then at some point they're like, oh man, play this. And it's like, you know, we, we were vibing and, uh, it was an amazing time. And, uh, ever since that shoot, I was like, I really want to like find a way to get more into basketball, you know, with the camera. And, uh, you know, that, that's kind of how that happened. This is a twofold question because you mentioned this when I saw you, uh, uh, shooting, uh, the player from the Hawks. Mm. But then I also started thinking about, is he making a transition? So this is the question. So one is the use of light. I, I, I've heard you mention like you, you've gotten, or you were in a phase where you were, you would go out and you would seek the places that had natural light and how you could use that natural light to your, to your own, uh, you know, to, to, to help in, uh, to help the shot. And so you didn't have to also bring out all these crazy lights and all this stuff and have to have a Jenny and all this other stuff. Right. And then, so that's the first part of the question, right? The natural light. And then watching you, um, you know, shoot, shoot the, the athletes and everything. And I know you spoke about how you were at ski magazine and, and I, I've, I've noticed uh, some other directors that started out in hip hop and how they how they move away from hip hop. Not that they're leaving it behind or they're sick of it. It's just that there's more opportunities that's offered to them. So, talk about your use of and your like of using natural light. And also, I want you to kind of talk about where you're headed now, like the direction you're headed in with your 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 creative direction for shooting. I started taking photos in high school because I wanted to like get through high school as easy as possible and ended up loving photography. But 
man, I had a camera and film, right? I didn't have any lights. Um, I think I used like lamps from my house if I needed to. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like I, I, I started from the most raw state as possible. And when I got a scholarship to go to photo school, it was a super technical photo school. And it was the complete opposite of how I started. And it was, you know, big four by five inch, uh, you know, box cameras, lots of lights, super, super technical commercial photo school, right? And I learned a lot, but then I ended up moving to LA and interned at a photo studio there that also did heavy lighting and big, you know, big celebrity commercial shoots. So I was exposed to that, but then I was broke as I mean, you couldn't be any more broke than I was in Los Angeles, right? It's, I was hanging on by a, a thread. And the one thing I would get from my internship was rolls of film. Mm. So I would walk up and down Hollywood Boulevard, where I lived at the time, and just shoot, just shoot Hollywood Boulevard, which was like, oh, what a playground it was. You know, it's not the same now. It was so raw back then. And uh, it was like back to my roots of like super raw, right? It was just me, a camera and film. And like, I wanted to like let go of all that technical knowledge that I learned from lighting because it just felt stifling. And then when I moved to Atlanta, I ended up photo assisting for a lot of big shooters out of New York and LA after I annoyed them to a point where they couldn't say no, right? And then I got back into lighting and I started working on bigger shoots with bigger lighting, but in a way that was good for me. Like the, the very technical style of lighting doesn't really speak to me, but it's helped me. Celebrity photography lighting can be very creative and I learned that through working for over 200 photographers, right? Mm. And I guess, I think a lot of people who do this will say the same thing. Like, once you learn lighting, you, you start to see lighting. So when you light with a, a strobe light, you can't see that, right? It's math. It's like, I'm going to put this light 10 feet in the air, angle it this way. I'm going to use a light meter. It tells me this is how bright it is. This is how I'm supposed to set my camera. Boom. Like you can't see it. It's all math. It's all in your head. It's all math. It's all geometry. So it's just like, it's not like once you do that enough, you'll walk around, you know, your life and you will start to see light. Like I know this alleyway at four o'clock, the sun hits in this direction and it's exactly what I want. So I think that's what I was talking about with like yep. natural light, right? It's like mm -hmm. starting mm -hmm. to see light. I can't go anywhere in my life without seeing light. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like, so where I'm at now creatively with lighting is like, I can kind of go any way it makes sense, right? My, my, I love just really raw, no production, kind of free-flowing type shooting. That's what I love the most. But mm -hmm. the reality is, is I have to be skilled in all kinds of lighting, depending on what I'm getting hired for. So, you know, I think right now, creatively, it's just a mixed bag. I kind of take each job as it comes and uh, make the right decision for those jobs. So you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to. And like Kim had said earlier, we didn't expect to be interviewing you on the night of the verses of Gucci and Jeezy, but you've shot both oh. artists, correct? 
Yes, I have. <laughs> so you can talk about those experiences. Um, if you don't want to answer, you don't have to, but who you got? <laughs> uh, I know who I got, but I'm just like, no. Can't say it? No, I can say it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to go with Gucci. I'm just okay. going to say Yeah. I mean, you know, and probably more because I have more of a connection to him photographically, but also just in my life. I used to be a wild person, let's just say. And Gucci was a big part of that soundtrack. Um, so, you know, I was shooting Gucci when he was, you know, the old Gucci. And then I was probably closer to him in my lifestyle than I am now, uh, back then. And so it felt, you know what I mean? Like it felt, I don't know, I just have more of a connection to it. Are, are these Coach K days? Yeah, Coach K days. Oh yeah, dude. I remember, uh, man, Coach and I were trying to do a shoot right before he went to jail the last time for three years. And I remember coach telling me on the phone, he was like, yeah, man, I think that's it. And I was like, what do you mean that's it? And like, he was basically like, I'm done with Gucci. And like, he told me this on the phone and I was like, whoa, like, like he was saying something I was catching up on. Like you could just tell shit was going down. You know what I mean? Like Gucci was acting way crazy back then. And, uh, you know, you could just tell Coach was done. And I was like... What was it like being, like, the one white cat, like, in being surrounded by all this? Like, when it was happening real time, what was it like? Man, I get asked that all the time, and it's <laughs> a totally fair question to ask. Um, you know, when you're young, I like, I can only speak for myself, but being so young and loving hip-hop so much... Mm-hmm. Like, I think everyone but me thought of that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it just, I'm not going to say, like, it never crossed my mind. But, like, I was like, I want to be a part of this, right? So, and there was no, like, barriers to that, right? Like, no one was, no one ever came to me and and was like, this is not your place. You, You know, you are not welcome here. You are, you know what I mean? Like, this is not your lane. No one. So... What was it like? It was like, it was the best thing ever. You know what I mean? (laughs) You know, things are different now, right? Like, you know, there's all kinds of people working in hip hop now, but yeah, back then I I was like the one white guy in many scenarios, right? But I never once was like, oh, I shouldn't be here. Oh, like, you know, like this is not, no, it was like nothing but love, which I've spoke on before too, right? Like, man, little John used to take me out to clubs. I remember we went to 112 one night mm-hmm. and like the the guy, the security guards at uh, 112 were not going to let me in. And it was like, John's like, no, nah, man, he's with me. He's cool. Like, and this went on for like 10 minutes. Right. And it's right. like, you know, just to be perfectly honest with you, it was basically because I was white. Right. Like that was, like, you know, without it being said, like that was kind of understood what was going on. And like, mm-hmm. I was with T.I., Killer Mike. Little John, uh, I think David Banner. I'm sure there were some other people there. Biz Marquis was playing that night, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I wanted to get in so bad. And I got in, and it was, like, fucking the best time ever. Like, I'll never forget that night. And I remember I got so drunk, I woke up in my bedroom, fully clothed, had zero idea how I got there. So you did forget that night, in a sense. (laughs) 
Right. Yeah. But totally all over the place. <laughs> and, but anyways, little John made sure I got home and got home safe. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm just telling that story, like to answer the question, you know, it's like, there was never an issue. Never once. I only saw a few pictures of you like posted up, like, you know, when you were hanging out or post photo shoot. And everybody I saw you with, if it was Jeezy or if it was Gucci, whoever you were posted up with, dude, like, you, it looked like a fucking family reunion shot. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, it just no, looks like love. No. Ah, thank you so much. Like, that's such a cool statement. Um, yes, that's man. We're hanging, right? Like, yeah. here's the thing. Like, I wanted to be a part of this, and I, you know, I, this is a. Uh, it's changed so much. Uh, in the last 20 years. But like when I was doing this, you gotta understand like no one else was doing this. Yeah. You know, like Dimon Valdez from Motion Family and all those guys were doing it as well, but I believe I was in there before them, right? But we, we kind of came up about the same time. But like there wasn't kids with cameras trying to shoot rappers in Atlanta. There just wasn't, right? And, and the, the whole world was bubbling right and it's like think about it i mean it's so obvious now but it's like you can't really create a movement without some visuals attached to it right right so it was like important that somebody wanted to do that and and i was that person you know what i mean like it didn't matter where we went we went to some really crazy places you know what i mean like crazy situations i probably shouldn't have been at <laughs> like was there wasn't anything i'd say no to literally nothing so it was like you know, I felt like I was an important part of helping move the movement forward. You know what I mean? I, you yeah. are. You are. You you were. Don't say you were. You are because you. I you yeah, man. No, we appreciate it because you archived this, bro. You documented exactly. This. Like between you, Patchwork, and uh, Lisa Cunningham, aka Captain Cunningham, you guys have documented the Southern. You guys have the Southern rap experience. The Dirty South. You guys own that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Password got the audio. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> in between you and, and Captain Cunningham, you know, she shot the videos for Gucci and, and Jeezy, and you got all the photo shoots for every, like, you guys, you know, there's there's a lot of history you guys are are, are captured and, and just holding on to, and, and thank you for doing that, man. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's funny to maybe just realize, like, so what when I moved here and, you know, went to Lil John's house, and I was like, oh, this is not what I want ended up being exactly what I wanted. Meaning <laughs> like, like I wanted, like my dream was to be in New York in 1982 and document B-boy culture as it was bubbling up. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. little did I know, I was literally handed the second version of that yep. in my lap. You know what I mean? And it's You shot like, wild style, but in Atlanta. Yes. And oh my God, how, oh, how amazing is that? You know what I mean? Like, it. To me, there's only two eras of hip hop that like are similar, you know, as far as like just breaking barriers down. And that means in another 10 years, you know, someone's going to be asking you to do something that you're you're going to hate to do, but love to do is go through your archive because they're going to want to do the documentaries. And <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And you're going to be like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, Jessa has this last one of her last questions, and and I've I've, I've screwed it up the last couple of podcasts, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to her asking it because she sets it up so well. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, it it and, and so before she does that, 
um, we both are interested in knowing how, <clears throat> and we're, you know, about two weeks, four, two weeks and four days, maybe five days out from the, uh, the November 4th, 2020 uh, vote for president. And uh, just wondering how everything that, that, the, let's say the the couple of years leading up to it and everything that's surrounded it, we got COVID. That's definitely aff- affected, you know, how you've created and, you know, um, the type of creation that you do and myself and, and just as well, we need to be around people. So having to to pivot to these virtual realms in order to, to do certain things. And I know for you, if you're going to work, there is no virtual solution. You either have to mask up or just not take the gig. But um, how has everything around the social distancing and COVID and everything, how has that affected you? And, and as well as the, the, I guess what the media is telling us, the change in political landscape or everything that came about it, how did all that blend into your, your creative process and did it affect your creative ability? Did it improve it? You know, has this time period, these last eight months been good for you, bad for you? Just break that down for us, bro. Oh man. Uh, I know we gotta wrap this up. That's a that's a. I know. Big... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, you you have given us so much meat, man. I'm no, just. I'm not mad. I mean, I could talk about this for a long time. Um, the political climate. You know, I don't try to get too political because it's just not my thing. But I will say, wow, like I definitely <laughs> feel better. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like mm-hmm. there was just a man. I, there's just too much hate out there. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't care who you are. You, you feel it, you wear it. You know what I mean? Like you can't escape it. And I'm very, very relieved that we might have a new direction. Um, not to say that uh, I have faith that uh, all the craziness is over, but uh, it definitely affected me. Um, it affected me, you know, there were people, you know, for the first time in my life, I was like, oh, if you follow this mindset, like, I can't fuck with you anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'd never done that before, you know, like politically, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that, that has happened. Um, whether some people know it or not, it's like, now, nah, like, I can't, you know, vote for that guy is so against what I believe that I, I just, I can't fuck with you as a human anymore. So I am super relieved that I just think it's going to be a little more peaceful moving forward uh, for however long it lasts. Um, so uh, yes, it affected me and I hope that effect goes away sooner than later. Um, as far as COVID's concerned, yeah, the political climate mixed with COVID, wow. Like the first two months of COVID, it just, I'm sure I'm speaking the same as what everyone was feeling, but I went into like emergency, like, I'm like, let me take out lines of credit, you know, 0% financing. Like, let me, let me hoard credit cards and mm. let me go get toilet paper and food for the family. And, you know, uh, I, I became a parent for the first time on May 6th. So that was another oh, one. Wow. Congrats, man. My girl's been pregnant you know, leading up to COVID, then COVID hits. And we're like, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to see my uh, son being born in the hospital. And, you know, the political unrest was like going crazy. And I'm just like, this shit has to stop. You know, like I was literally going crazy in my mind because it just felt like 
yeah, it just felt like insanity, right? And, and I was scared financially. I was scared that another civil war was going to break out. And I'm like, what do I do, right? I just had a kid. Like, like, I can't just move. Like, who's moving right now? Where do I move to? What's safe? Like, what makes sense? Like, so yeah, it was a major crisis in my head, right? Just like most people. And at some point, my buddy Dave from Motion Family hit me up and was like, hey, uh, Sig has a ride out, uh, you know, ATL bike life scene. Mm-hmm. So our good friend Sig is like the photographer for ATL bike life. Like he is bike life. And Dave from Motion Family is like, look, I want to shoot a, uh, like we're working on a documentary with him. You should come out. And I was like, you know, I was talking to my girl. I was like, look, I, I, I need to like go out and create. Like I really, like I need it. Like I need air in my lungs right now. You know what I mean? Like I need to feel free. Mm -hmm. And like, she reluctantly let me go out and man, it was the best thing I could have ever done in my life Mm -hmm. because I was dying on the inside. You know what I mean? And we went out and shot bike life and man, I like hugged Dave. Like I'm not really a hugging kind of person. I'm like, (laughs) thank you so much. For getting me out of the fucking house. But like beyond that, bike life is like freedom, right? It's mm-hmm. like we're running lights, like, and I'm not trying to say, you know, breaking the law on bike life. I'm not endorsing the, you know, the outlaw side of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the takeaway I got from it was, you know, friendships, you know, bonding, freedom. And these are like all things I wasn't feeling at the time. And uh, so I've been focusing a lot of my time in COVID uh, shooting the bike life scene and and has now turned into all kinds of other things. So like I've had like a creative reawakening where I want to be around people I like and I want to create art that I get paid, like, I don't care if I'm getting paid for it. I haven't done that in a long time, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it was always like, oh, well, this isn't going to bring a check. Like, so maybe I shouldn't pursue this. And like, so out of all the grossness going on in the world, I've had like an awakening and, you know, like a creative awakening, I think, to where I'm like, I I need to create for myself no matter what. Um, And that's what I've gotten from COVID. You know, um, and I, I feel as creative as I've ever been. And, and, you know, right when COVID started, I would tell you the exact opposite. So mm. I guess out of the pain, some good stuff came from it. Oh, that's, that's awesome. I think that, that actually leads perfectly into what Jessa has lined up for you. This is, this is turning out well. Thank you for this extra time too, man. This is awesome. Sure, sure. So normally we like to ask people what their dream gig, dream job, something they wish they could have worked on, something they want to work on or someone they want to collaborate with. But I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you got that moment with Andre that day yeah. and everything that has followed after that. So what's next for you? Man, that's a really great question. Um, You know, I don't have a clear answer for you. I'm just trying to like move forward creatively and technically at the same time. Like I just want to be better at whatever I'm doing. Right. And, and the fact that you kind of set it up that like, I already got it with Andre, like anytime something really stood out to me is something I wanted like I just like have willed it into existence, right? Like mm. I wanted Outcast and Andre 3000 so bad 
that the universe, you know, presented it to me because that's where my head was at the whole time, right? Like tunnel vision. And the truth is I don't have that right now, right? Like, like I can't tell you like, oh, I, I have to do this, right? I don't. Um, and, and I need to, you know, I need to find it, but I can't force it. So, you know, for me, I, I'm studying, you know, uh, color grading for video. Um, you know, I, I've got a, a remote control car that my camera goes on. I'm studying that. I'm studying different camera techniques. I'm very into like learning technical things right now, but I don't have like a big pie in the sky goal. And I need to, you know what I mean? Like, cause if I don't have it, I don't know. I don't think something crazy is just going to fall on my lap. I really do think I have to hone in on like a new big goal. And uh, that's to be determined. Keep manifesting, bro. Keep manifesting. Cause I was yeah, real. whatever juju you got, it works. It works well. <laughs> yeah, bro, sure. b- before we, we do what, what is so hard to do before we wrap and let you go, man, is uh, please let the people know where they can find all things Zach Wolf in any direction you want to push the good people. Uh, yeah, so currently I don't have a website, which is super embarrassing to say, but uh, during COVID, the company that hosted my site went out of business. And like, oh, wow. one day I got emails and calls like, hey, you don't have a website. I'm like, what? And you know, the, the obvious answer would be like, well, why don't you build a new website? But uh, yeah, that's, that's a big undertaking. It's coming. ZachWolf.com. I still own that, but there is no ZachWolf.com right now. But uh, Instagram is the best place to find me. Just Z-A-C-H-W-O-L-F-E. That's essentially my website anyways. Um, I am on Twitter, but it's just kind of there. I don't actually use it. I have Facebook purely to get into certain Facebook groups for technical reasons. So I, I'm not a big social media person except for Instagram. So find me on Instagram. Oh, there it is. There it is. Well, man, this, you, you've been awesome, man. Uh, this awesome is a word that I've adapted in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> he really has. <laughs> I've never heard him use that word so much. I, it's because my daughters, my daughters have been doing some, some really great things. So I, that's where it came out of. And I, you know, just want to, want to stand them up. Oh, and before we end this, bro, did you have a boy or girl? Boy. Oh, nice. Nice. And what did you name what Elijah, Elijah Zachary. Mm. Ooh, biblical. Boy, he got some uh, weight on his shoulders, huh? <laughs> so I, I did not name him. My, uh, my girlfriend's daughter, whose name is Aria, mm-hmm. we would put her to bed at night. And mm-hmm. for like a year, she would be like, where's my baby brother, Elijah? We're like, oh my God. <laughs> Who's Elijah? Like... <laughs> She's like, my brother Elijah, God, God told me I'm going to have a brother Elijah. We're like, okay, that's cool. Like, yeah, sure. Whatever. And, uh, you know, my girlfriend got pregnant and we're like, Hey, Aria. She's like, what? (laughs) Well, Elijah's coming. She's like, I knew it. God told me. And we're like, so anyways, we had to name him Elijah. That's so cute. The whole family's manifesting. (laughs) For real. <laughs> 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 to the universe. For real, for real. We'll bet Instagram is where we can find Zach Wolf with an E on the end. Um, again, thank you so much for your time. This 
man, Zach, this has been awesome. Um, I really appreciate you um, just just being able to research you and now have even more background on you, man. I, I salute you. And I can definitely say on behalf of Justin, myself, and Six Feet of Separation, man, we just wish you the best and uh, definitely are going to be some soldiers in, in, in your corner no matter what you do, bro. I really appreciate it. This is a great, great interview. I love the questions. And uh, thank you for uh, sparking some Atlanta nostalgia. <laughs> yes, always, well, always right, over here. <laughs> right before the, the versus battle with Jeezy and Gucci. So <laughs> it's so good. It is, it is. And everybody I'm sure everybody's gonna be tuned in tonight. So again, yeah. on behalf of myself, DJ Kemet, and my wonderful co-host and producer Jesse B with the awesome and great Zach Wolf, this episode just could not be better. And it's only better because you guys were here and joining in on it. Hope you guys take this information. It inspires you and you guys, you know, move forward through life. So again, thank you for joining Six Feet of Separation. We look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode. Until then, take care, stay healthy, and peace. Peace. Peace out. Thank you.